So we're going to be learning Sicha uh, based on the Maimah that we learned last week of Sher Hamalis. It's very short. Um, it's just in the Hebrew. So again, if, if you want to follow inside, follow inside. If you want to listen to the translation, do that. Sichas um, are, are harder to find with the English translation next to them and everything. Um, so if Gamago will bring the copy in, but just a g- general reminder about when it comes to Torah R and the Maimarim that we're learning, that Hasidus is traced back to Torah R. Over 90% of Maimarim could be traced back either directly to the Alter Rebbe's Maimarim or to a Maimar that was based on the Alter Rebbe's Maimarim. So we're learning a Sicha where the Rebbe discusses this Maimar and then adds, uh, like elaborates on it basically and adds another point. So it's cool to kind of see from the Alter Rebbe all the way to the Rebbe, this, this idea kind of coming through. So we said we'll do a quick recap about the dreams, two minutes before we go inside, just about the idea of the connection between dreams and Carlos. Um, perfect. So, as you guys remember, so we were learning a Mimer on Parshas Miketz, but uh, on Parshas Vayeshev. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay, two more copies? And so, maybe? And then three. Uh, okay. Three. Is that a copy sitting there? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we need three more copies. I'll make one. Awesome. Okay. So, we learned a Mimer on Parshas Vayeshev. This is a Parsha on Miketz, but Vayeshev and Miketz are right after the, each other, and they both speak about dreams. So the concept of dreams are used interchangeably in these two parshas. And um, this, this sicha goes on at length. It's like a longer for bringing where the Rebbe connects it with Hanukkah because it falls out at the time of Hanukkah. But we're just going to focus on, on the first sicha. Um, we're not going to be learning the whole, the whole thing. So we discussed that dreams, the definition of a dream is something is when two opposites coexist because our discerning mind leaves when we're asleep and our power of imagination runs free and therefore opposites are able to exist at the same time without us even noticing that these things don't make sense together. And then we wake up, we get our intellect back and we realize, wait, that didn't really make sense. Oh, that was just a dream. We said that in exile we have the same experience because our neshama, when it comes down into this body and exists in exile, is not fully awake it's discerning mind, it's ability to clearly point out to us, this is for God and this is not leaves. It gets dulled and dimmed in exile. And therefore we have that same experience of a dreamlike state where we're able on the one hand to serve ourselves and to have self-serving motivations in all areas of our physical life. And on the other hand, serve God and have the desire to serve God alone without anything else mixing in. We said that dreams are sourced from a very, very lofty place up on high. Dreams represent the level of Hashem where opposites exist as one, where there's ultimate unity before the concept of what we discussed of channels. 
And we call that the igulim, right? And again, it's not that the higher up you're going to go, you're going to start seeing circles. And that the world is made up of circles. It's all an analogy. It's a marshal for the idea that in these levels of godliness, of God, the opposites exist as one thing. There's ultimate unity. There are no, there's no division. There's no separation whatsoever. And then as God descends into the more organized world, he expresses himself through channels. Channels are like kavim, like lines. And that creates this concept of opposites. But the truth is that nothing is opposite one from the other. We're all one thing. And has anyone learned chapter 32 of Tanya? Are you, yeah. yeah? Like, not, not in Maya note, right? Yeah. You're not going to... Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> you haven't learned it yet? No, Maybe next year. You have. No, you're saying you're not going to get there with Rabbi Kaufman, right? Okay, okay. Um, chapter 32 of Tanya. <laughs> no way. <laughs> there has... Where is Emma? Put it here, I guess. Here. Um, so if you haven't learned chapter 32, some, some years I, I teach it, some years I don't. It depends. Like, but in chapter 32 of Tanya, which is Lave 32, Lamad Bays. Uh, we just did lave of uh, Tehillim. <laughs> we did 32 of Tehillim. The Altarba's message there is really that the only possible way that we can fulfill the commandment to love our fellow Jew as ourself is if we're able to see the internal aspect and truth of the Jew and not look at the external. Because when we look at an external person, we look at their body and their personality and the external parts of themselves, there's, there's opposites there, right? And there's no way that something so opposite and different from you can be seen as equal, right? And then you have to equalize things in order to love them. And so it's the same, it's the same idea that the, when we can see the internal truth of the world and of Hashem and of ourselves, it's a concept of igulim, where it's, it's all equal. But the moment that we step back and we start to look at the more external, that's where we see opposites. That's where we see differences. So the truth is that we're all one. We're one with the Torah, one with Hashem. Hashem is one. Um, but as Hashem creates the world, that truth le- gets further and further away and we get to live in this world of opposites. In exile, we go back to that state of taking these opposites and saying, it's okay, they can all work together. And again, there's the negative connotations of that, but it's a reflection of the highest levels of Hashem, which is called a dream. And we said that Yosef comes from this level and therefore he was able to, he was a dreamer. He served Hashem on this level of dreams. He lived in Egypt while keeping up with his standards 100% and never compromising at all, which made no sense. I just learned that the brothers, when they went to look for, for when they went to Egypt, they went to look for Yosef. It's a medrash. And where did they go to look for him? In the, I don't know what the word is, I guess brothel, but for men. Like he was very, very, very good looking and they assumed he'd been sold into slavery and this is what he was doing his whole life, that he was, that he was involved in like the ultimate level of promiscuity because as we know, Avram brought his wife Sarah to Egypt and what did they do straight away? They grabbed her, like she's beautiful, let's take her to the king. That was the reality that Yosef was living in. But where did they find him? He was at the top, top, top position um, and he was completely uncompromised. And the reason he was able to incorporate these two things so, so these two opposite things together 
is because he came from this level of dreams where we, where he could he was able to clearly see that these things did not actually contradict. It wasn't going to get him down. And actually, we said on the contrary, the fact that he found himself in exile is where he was able to thrive, because exile is a state of confusion, and in that confusion, it reflects the highest levels of Hashem, which where there is unity, and therefore Yosef is the one who leads us. Raya Katsar Yosef, who leads us in exile and who leads us out of exile. Just as he was able not only to dream but to interpret dreams, he helps us to make sense of them and to leave exile and go into Golan, wake up from that dream. So here we're going to focus on one aspect, one thing that was brought up in the mimer at the beginning, which is that a person could think that because his intentions in davening do not last throughout the day, that means that his intentions in davening or his godly, the godly side of himself, his service of Hashem, does not actually, is not actually real, right? And so here the Rebbe is going to explain to us and make an argument for why that is not the case. Okay, so it's a short sicha, um, but we're going to read it all inside. And we're going to start with just, the, the Rebbe is going to summarize very quickly, very briefly, the idea of the Alter Rebbe and then go into... Um, and then go into this new idea. So a little bit is a little bit of this is going to be a review of what we learned in the Mimer. So let's go to the beginning. Bereish Parshas Miketz. At the beginning of Parshas Miketz, the Ken Parsha Kodemus, and also in the Parsha preceding Miketz, which is Parshas Vayeshev, Musupar Al Hachalaymos. We learn about dreams. It tells us about dreams, and this is not something again that exists throughout the whole Torah. We're not hearing about dreams all the time. It's a very unique, uh, it's a unique time when it's bringing up dreams. Chalayim Parai, but Parshas Miketz. In Parshas Miketz, we learn about the dream of Parai, that the seven fat cows were consumed by the seven skinny cows, and that the seven fat bundles of grain were consumed by the seven skinny bundles of grain, which Yosef correctly interpreted. And we learn about Chalayim Yosef, the dream of Yosef, the Hamashkin, the dreams of the butler, the Sarah and the baker, which was in Pasha's Vayeshev. You're familiar with the story when Yosef was thrown into prison after refusing Potiphar's wife. He was thrown into prison and the butler and the baker told him about their dreams. He correctly interpreted their dreams and that's how the butler ended up remembering to mention him to Para and that's how he got out of prison. So, all of these dreams of the butler, the baker, Para and Yosef, these are all reasons for the exile of Mitzrayim. Not to say that we're blaming the dreams for the exile, but that they were a catalyst to the exile. And the exile of Mitzrayim is the source of all exiles to follow. All exiles stem from the exile of Mitzrayim. And we discussed this, that everything happened as a result of these dreams, right? If Yosef hadn't dreamed, been sold to Egypt, interpreted dreams, got into his position, the Jews would not have descended to Egypt and they would not be there and the exile would not have followed. Wait, what's Sibus again? Sibus means reasons. Me'achar shekol ha'anyanim, since everything, happens by divine providence, muvan me'alav it's self-understood that the result of these dreams, which was Hagalus, the exile that followed, Kshura Vadaim Elagaya must be connected to its cause, Lachalaim to the dream. So the dreams had, I guess we can call it a direct or an indirect, however you want to look at it, effect and cause which led the Jews into exile. So there must be a connection between exile and dreaming. 
So now we're going to sum up what that connection is based on Tyrar. Hakesher ben agalos lebena chalain. The connection between dreaming and between exile, muspar, mispar makamas, is explained in a number of different places in Chasidus. Obena shar, and among them, but Tyrar in Tyrar, Parshas Vayeshev, Sheramales, which we just learned. And there it explains chalaim naveya mekaya chadimiyim that a, a dream comes from our power of imagination, hamaached shnei dvarim menugadim, which joins together two opposing things, afpila bekufei demachta, and it brings an example from the Gemara that uh, of uh, an elephant going into the eye of a needle. I don't know how many of you have dreamed about that recently. But <laughs> it actually says in the Gemara that it's impossible to dream about an elephant going to the eye of the needle unless you sit during the day and you imagine it in your mind. Because um, it's like so far-fetched that even your dream wouldn't come up with it unless you thought about it during the day. Anyway, um, but this is an example. So if anyone dreams about it tonight, let me know. Because <laughs> it says that, like, it says in the no one dreams about an elephant going through the eye of a needle. Anyway. But this is the example of two opposites happening together, which we could possibly dream about, right? The, the Rambam's example was a flying ship. If a person thought about this before, he can even dream about such crazy things like an elephant going through the eye of a needle. This too is our situation in the time of exile. Adam nidme, a person imagines that he loves God, the imzais, and at the same time, his physical self. despite the fact that these two things, are not able to go hand in hand, they do not fit together as one thing. and to the point that shehu that he. <coughs> Alul lihiyot is able, it's possible that he will be shakua, involved with taivas in physical desires. And even, what would the word be, la'avar? An avera. Right, but like, what's the, transgress, I think that would be, like the verb, right? Um, and even to the point of transgressing the will of Hashem. So the Rebbe is saying, not only do we sometimes love Hashem and love our body, but sometimes we go to the point that we love Hashem and we also, at the same time, do things Hashem explicitly doesn't want us to do. So now we're going to get to the point that's made in Torah Or, but Kolzot, nevertheless, even though we do experience two opposites at the same time in exile, two extremes, Masik but Torah Or, it's explained in Torah Or, it's emphasized there, Ein litot, a person should not make the mistake for Lomar to say, that since after he <coughs> finishes to pray, a person finds himself in a spiritual state, which is opposite, then the state he found himself in in the time of prayer. A person could bring this as a proof that his prayer, his davening, his learning of Torah and the mitzvahs that he does, Einam, Shavim, Klum, are not worth anything. And we elaborated on that in the Mimer, why a person could possibly think that. If you have a certain intention and a certain emphasis and focus, and then you do something that's the complete opposite, you could think that when I was doing things for God, they aren't worth anything. 
and this is not so. And this is what we're going to be elaborating on for the rest of the Sicha. This is not the case. Why? The source of a dream is from a very lofty place. Which specifically shines in the time of exile. And there it's explained at length. And there we learnt it already at length. So now let's take this as a practical application. This idea that you could think that your service of God is not worth anything if you're not being consistent with it, but that that's not actually the case. So to explain this idea, now we're in Gimel, on the left side of 71. From the aspect of the service of a person, he is. So what does this look like practically? Bekol ish Yisrael, within every single Jewish person, there exists shlema v'tmima hanefesh ha'elokis tamid. His godly soul is in a const- is whole and pure, constant always. It's in a constant state of wholeness and purity. And we, I did mention this briefly, right? That anytime we feel lack, a lack of something, it comes from our animal soul because our godly soul is a constant state of wholeness. The Torah and mitzvahs that a Jew does, they are eternal forever. And on the opposite side of things, notice the, the Rebbe uses, um, was very careful to not use negative terms. So means the actions that were not fitting. Okay, So not to say the bad things he did or the sins, the Rebbe says the actions that were not fitting. Sha'adam was said that a person does. They are only temporary. Keep a sofa shal davar because at the end of the day, Atid in his future, call Yehudi Lachzor Bachuva, every Jew will eventually return to Teshuva. And because of this, Gam Bashas Maisa, even at the time where he's actually doing something that is not fitting, that is opposed to to his intentions to serve God. It's not something that lasts. And the example is something called the rivers hamachazivin, which is the idea, it's a halachic idea, that there's this concept in halacha of like living waters and dead waters. Like there's a, a river that flows constantly, is considered living water, and therefore you can use it for certain things, like for mikveh, etc. As opposed to like just a still body of water that doesn't move, it doesn't have as much power for purifying halachically. And there's a very interesting halacha that if a river runs for seven years, but every seven years the river dries up for a period of time and then it starts to flow again, it's not considered living water because the fact that the river is going to dry up means that it was never actually a living river. And the idea here is one that is very interesting. I think it's the Rabbeinu Bahaya who says, it's a bit morbid, but that from the moment we are born, we start to die. Have you heard that idea before? From the moment you're born, you start to die. And it's true. <laughs> the body starts, like, like, on the one hand, to build itself up, but on the other hand, to, to, to decay already. Um, and the idea here is actually a very interesting one. When we talk about truth, okay, and ultimate truth, when we speak about truth, right? So the rule is that the only thing that is truly, tr- that is true is something that can never be disproven, right? If you can have a truth and then someone can come with a better truth, then your truth is not a truth. It's a lie. It's not an ultimate truth, right? 
um, which is why we say about the Torah, the Torah is the ultimate truth and therefore it doesn't change, right? Um, and that is how we know that it's the truth, because it doesn't change. And so too with Hashem. What do we know about Hashem? That He was, He is, and He will be. Hashem is unchanging and He's absolutely unaffected by the world. And again, that brings up all of the questions, how do our actions affect God? And again, we're not going to get into that um, for now. But the fact that Hashem is unchanging is what makes Him true. We, as physical people, and every physical thing that has been created is changing in some way. Uh, it's, and it's usually going down. And there's a, the law of entropy. Is that what it's called? Entropy. entropy. Have I mentioned this before? Because I remember last time I, was, I forgot the name of it. The law of entropy is the law that everything, if left on its own, is going to degrade, is going to go down, right? Yeah? Um, I, I learn, <laughs> I learn about these things in the context of one of Hasidus. It's so funny. Like you probably learned this like in a like structured school yeah. way. Like I know it from, the, from these ideas when I look into them and then I hear like a rabbi mention it. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. And I read about it a little, it's funny. My education, um, <laughs> comes from a different way. But anyway, it's called the law of entropy. And the idea is that things left alone will decay, right? If you have a house, it's a beautiful house and everything's spotless and you leave it for 10 years and you come back. And even nobody went inside. It was locked up. It's going to be a disaster inside because anything left alone gets worse. <coughs> and that is actually a law of... Um, that is just a law of nature. And we exist within that nature. We're physical beings. And the moment that we're coming... Bless you. When we come into the world, we already start to, to, to degrade. The fact that... By the fact that we are human beings, that means that we're going to die at some point. Every human being is going to die. And that means that the tr- he is not like ultimate truth. So our physical selves are not the ultimate truth. The physical world is not the ultimate truth because anything in the physical world is decaying. Except it's brought in Chassidus for the sun, the moon, the stars. And that is like very against, I think, what modern... I think modern science says that the sun is decaying also and that it's going to at some point, like, I don't know what, explode. I don't know what. The world isn't going to be in a good place according to those predictions. But according to Chassidus, the sun actually, the sun, moon, and stars are the exception to that because Hashem has given them a special power of infinity where, where they actually don't get, get worse with the time. But any sort of physical thing that exists here eventually will not be. And that means that it's not the ultimate truth. Okay, our godly soul, right? Our soul was, is, and always will be, and is constantly whole, right? As Rebbe said here, is constantly in a state of wholeness. It is unaffected by the world around it, just as God is unaffected by the creation of the world. And again, there are aspects of our godly soul that do get affected when we sin, but they don't. But our godly soul doesn't get compromised. Um, the way that our godly soul is able to be felt and expressed in the world gets compromised because what we're doing is we're compromising the vessels and the channels by which our godly soul can be present in the world. So too with God. We don't compromise God when we sin. God is uncompromised by our actions, but we compromise the channels by which God is able to express himself into the world. And that affects us, right? It doesn't affect God. It affects us. It affects God's ultimate purpose for the world, which is that he should be present here, but it doesn't affect him. So the idea here is like this, that when we do, when we sin, the fact that there is 
No sin in the world that can't be elevated by teshuva. Some take more effort than others, okay? But there's no such thing as a sin that's not able to be elevated. Okay, if you do the sin for the purpose of like repenting later, then that's another kind of story. The Gemara says like, and I say, oh, you know what? I can do teshuva later, so I'm going to sin. Okay, we can't live our lives that way. However, the fact that we are taught, and this is truly what we believe, this is the truth, that a Jew is able to fix his past if he works hard enough today, and to the point that his past sins are able to actually turn into merits, that means that because the sin doesn't have an everlasting effect, because it can be changed through the process of teshuva, it was never actually true to begin with. Mm. Just as the fact that we our physical body is not going to be here forever. It was never true in the first place, not the ultimate truth. That's the same thing with our sins. But why would it be true that we would exist? Like, because we're not, like, why would it be true that, you know what I mean? No. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Why would, uh, why would we, how our, like, Infinity, what is it? Finite existence is yeah. connected to tshuva. Like the fact that we're tapping into our time is kind of what it is, or like how is our finite? So, so the concept of tshuva, those things, the, the fact that we exist for a specific amount of time, right. is an example for the idea that I'm bringing, which is that so too our sins exist for a specific amount of time. Oh. The fact that they can change to become merits through teshuva means that they didn't have the, that ultimate power of truth. That they don't define the whole thing. Like me. Yes. Okay. Because as we know also, sin and merits and the effect that they have on our godly soul, let's say, our godly soul is beyond time. And so we can use this in the negative, and there are places, which will bring this up, that when we sin, our godly soul exists above time, and therefore that sin actually affects the godly soul for all time, which is a pretty morbid way to think about things. But then when you think about the fact that, yes, but when I do teshuva, I literally can change the effect that the sin had on all points of time, depending on, again, how deep the teshuva is. If you do a certain level of teshuva, it affects the the effect that the sin had in this specific time, but if it was a deep enough tshuva that it changes retroactively the sin into merit, then the effect that the sin had on all continuums, I guess we can call it, is changed. And the fact that it can change means it's not ultimately true, which is not the case with our merits. There is no such thing as a Jew's merit being taken away from him, right? We've learned, we have many examples of someone doing a sin and that sin being forgiven, being transformed, being removed through the process of teshuva. There is no such thing as a Jew doing something good, positive, and that the bad that he did later overwhelming that good, right? We don't, have, we don't speak in, the, in those terms in Judaism. We speak in those terms in just the, in the world, the way that the world works. I mean, you can build up a lot of money, but if you're going to lose all that money, then it wasn't really worth much, right? But if you build up a lot of good deeds in this world and then you don't continue with them, every single good deed you did, because it's true, it, because it can never be changed, it's true. And because it's true, it's real. And that's the most real thing in your life. So what we end up telling ourselves is, well, I 
did these good things. But then I did all these bad things, usually more bad things than good things if we count them up. Okay, And when we say bad, not necessarily sin, but just actions that are for the sake of ourselves. That makes up majority of our day because we're in exile. So we can say, well, if I look at what makes a majority of my day, maybe that cancels out the few good things I did that day. And the Rebbe is saying, no, it's actually the opposite. The things that you did which were not in line with your ultimate truth of your godly soul can always be changed and elevated. And the fact that they can be changed, they weren't actually true. But the things that you did that were good can never be taken away from you. And therefore, that's actually the truth. So it's explaining just deeper what the altar Rebbe said briefly in the Mimer, which was we could think that our intentions in prayer were not real because we did not stay consistent with those intentions throughout the day, but that's not the case. And here we're explaining why that's not the case. Because the good things that we do last forever and the bad things that we can do can always be elevated and therefore they don't last forever and therefore they're not actually the truth of what defines us. And so that's the example of Naharis Machzivin, that if there's a river that is going to stop flowing, even seven years from now, we can't see that water with the same status as a river that we know flows forever. Because the fact that it's going to stop means that it's not living in that real definition of the word, because it's going to stop, it's going to die. And so the negative things we do are not living and they're not true. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah? So prayer, since it's a positive thing, even though it doesn't last the whole day, it's still, it's because it's a positive thing. Yeah, and so when we say positive, we're talking specifically in the context of what Hashem told us to do as right. positive, right? <laughs> Which we just learned our Sarasa Dibras, right? And that comes up a lot when we learn the Sarasa Dibras. We just had it in Parshas Yisrael. Like, why is the Sarasa Dibras so obvious, right? Like, Hashem comes once in the world's lifetime, never going to happen again. And what does He tell us? Don't kill, don't steal, don't take your, your friend's wife, like... Right? Why is that? And so when we, that's to remember that when we say positive, positive in context of what's in line with what God told us to do, because God told us to do it. In that case, yes, anything that's positive in that context is what's real. And that's actually the only thing that's real in our life. So we should want to do more of it. We shouldn't use that as an excuse to say, okay, fine, I could do one or two real things and then all the bad things I do don't even count anyway. Let me just enjoy them. No, we want to live real lives and lives of truth. And so when we can, when we can realize the fact that the only true things we can ever do are these positive ones, which are in line with Hashem, we'll hopefully do more of them and not use that as an excuse, right? Um, but, but that's the idea here. So the, the rabbi continues inside. Gimel, second to last paragraph on page 75, starting with Lefichach, for anyone who's following inside. Again, I know that's like, no is no English. So if you want to follow inside, please do. And if you want me to repeat a word, a translation, let me know. But if you don't, that's fine too. So Lefichach, therefore, Ein hara mesugal lahachria, the bad does not have the ability to subjugate, to overturn, chas v'shalom, God forbid, esatayv, the good. And that's why we literally have no examples in any story entire where a good thing was taken away from a person. Because it's not something that lasts. The bad that we do is not something that has lasting effect. Which is not the case with the good. It's opposite. Which is whole, always. And um, I think actually that the next mimer we're going to learn is about this idea that every single Jew has a portion in the world to come. And to discuss that, it's a mimer actually of the Rebbe. 
Um, we have one of the 12 psukim is that we say every, uh, every single Jew has a portion in the world to come. So we're going to talk about that because if a Jew has even done one good thing, it warrants him to get into Olam Haba as opposed to Gan Eden, which we'll talk about the difference between those two things. So we're actually going to elaborate on this idea a little more then. And on this level, from this aspect, there's an advantage in the time of exile compared to the time of the Beis HaMikdosh, which we can use as an example of the closest time of redemption that we've had, which is in the time of the Beis HaMikdosh. It wasn't the ultimate redemption because it wasn't eternal. So it wasn't Mashiach Tzidkenu, the ultimate truth of redemption, but it was an example of redemption. It was a time period of redemption. In the time of the Beis HaMikdosh, Palu Vahiru the in, inner power of the soul was active and was shining in a felt way in the person's life. Shebahem kayemet hagbala. Which then created limitations for the person. Because his soul was shining in such a revealed way in his life, that person was thereby limited. The rule is, the holier a person is, the more limited he is, okay? So Jews are genuinely, we would say, holier than non-Jews. That doesn't mean they're better, but they're kadosh. They have more of this shining energy, which therefore means that they're more limited. Seven laws turn into 613. And then within the category of Jews, we have, let's say, kaihanim, right? Kaihanim have even more godliness shining through them. They have even more limitations, right? They're not allowed to marry certain people that other people are allowed to marry, etc. And then we have the Kayan Gadol, who's even more limited. Mm-hmm. He's like really limited in who he can marry. He can never go to a, you know, to a funeral, etc., etc. So the more godliness is shining, the holier you are, the more limited you are. So in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, the Jews were much holier because their godly soul was shining forth in a much more revealed way. So they were more limited. They couldn't just go to the Beis HaMikdash, they had to be purified. They couldn't just eat certain foods. They had to make sure that they were in a state of purity. They were just much more limited. And therefore, an impure person was not able to enter the Mikdash. In the time of exile, the outer layers of the neshama are shining, but the true light of the neshama is concealed. And therefore, we are not as limited. As it's written, that God dwells among us in our state of impurity and exile. Because God doesn't say, oh, I can't be here, you guys are impure, because we are not in a state where the inner powers of our soul are shining forth. So we are less limited to when we can get close to God, let's you, versus when we cannot. Okay. Practically. The Rebbe is going to give us now a practical application for this idea. Because we can walk away now with many assumptions based on this fact that our sins are actually the least truth, the least true thing about us and don't last. And our merits are good. We can walk away with... We can make this fit into many convenient ways in our life. Let's put it that way, right? Oh, I could sin. It doesn't really matter, etc. So the Rev is going to give us a practical hurrah for this. Mm-hmm. I have a question. <clears throat> can you explain again the thing of God living within us, even though we 
Like yeah, yeah. So the more God is channeled and revealed through us, and we become like a conduit for God's light, the more holy we are. But again, kadosh means holy, and kadosh means separate. They come together. So the holier you are, the more limited you are, the more you have to separate yourself from the world and from certain actions without being in a state of purity. So the idea is, this is an example for the fact that when we are in a time of Geula, in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, our soul was not asleep, right? Because that's what we were learning about, that our soul, certain aspects of our soul get hidden and concealed in exile. That was not the case in the time of the Beis HaMikdash. The truth of the person was shining through, which meant that he was more limited. And as we discussed, limitation is very important because it gives order, but limitation also means that we're not getting the truth, the ultimate truth. What's the truth of Hashem? That he is present everywhere, even in a place of impurity. That truth of Hashem wasn't able to be felt in the time of the Beis HaMikdash because we, yes, we were holier. Yes, we were awake, but that was in a state of order and limitation. So God said, well, I am then limited. I can only dwell among you when you're in a state of purity. When our soul is not shining forth totally, okay, so we're in a more sleep state, there's more chaos and confusion, but God says, I dwell among you in your impurity. We're not as limited because we're, we're able to reach places that we couldn't have reached if we were in a full state of holiness. So it's very much counterintuitive. You would think the opposite, right? That because we're holier, we're connecting to higher levels of God, but that's and not the case. More. Like we can, we're yeah, we're like more unlimited. We can reach the highest places, but that's not the case. The holier you are, the more limited you are. And the more limited your relationship with Hashem is, you have to be in this state versus this state to connect to Hashem, the less of the truth of Hashem you're actually getting. So it's not how we would think about it if you would like just think about it straight off. But when you, when after everything that we've learned, it, it makes more sense because the truth of Hashem is not limited to being with us only when we're in a pure state. And so... Now we're going to take a practical takeaway. Hayra means an instruction. And the Rebbe finishes his sikhas almost, almost always with a practical instruction for Avodah Hashem. What do we take, what do we take away with it, from this? So we'll start and then I guess maybe we'll see how far we get and we can finish the rest, um, can finish the rest also tomorrow. We should not take the opinion of those who claim, but ta'ut, mistakenly, that the only possible way forward is to go from the easy to the difficult. The organized avoda. So usually when we look at how we're going to serve Hashem, we take an orderly step-by-step approach. First, I'm going to start with this. Then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do this. The Rebbe is saying that we shouldn't think that way. And this is actually the opposite of many other times in the where it says something else. But a person could think that as long as a person is not completed, the first level where he's at, he's not able to begin to think about something that's a higher level. Svarazu Haita Nachona. This claim would be correct, 
If his whole life was organized, if the person lived his whole life in a step-by-step, organized, logical way, then he can apply that to his service of God and say, listen, until I've completed this step fully, completely, I'm not thinking about the next level. Aval, but, since we know that our situation in this life is a state of dreaming, of chaos, where we don't have everything organized, that gives us the ability, and therefore there is a need, to put forth every service, my Hashem, of serving Hashem, ha mizdamnut liyad. His damnut means the opportunity to take that opportunity by the hand, behetem lohara'at razal, according to the instruction, what it says in the Gemara, chatof va'achol chatof ishti, grab and eat, grab and drink, which we're going to elaborate on what that means, grab and eat, grab and drink. So practically, what can we take from the fact that we find ourselves in a state of chaos? That we shouldn't serve Hashem in a way of order. Now, this could go opposite to what many people will say. I know that also in my note, like if we notice that, a student is like came here one way and like a week later is already looking totally different like that sets off alarm bells in a way like wait like are you taking on too much too quickly like you know let's put that aside for a second okay the rebbe here is saying that since our lives are not one of order like in the time of the base hamikdash where everything was just clear where the truth of our soul was shining forth and where everything was organized, since our life does not look that way and we do jump between extremes, that on the one hand, that gives us the ability to actually take leaps in our service of God that we otherwise could not if our life had been so organized. If things are organized and go step by step, then your service of God needs to be organized and be step by step. But the fact that things are chaotic actually allows us the opportunity to take take leaps and to grab onto opportunities when it comes to our service of Hashem that wouldn't have been accessible to us had our lives been so orderly. And so we could think, okay, until I'm completely, completely down pat with this area of Torah, with this understanding, with this part of my prayer, with my knowledge of Hebrew, whatever it is, I'm not moving on to the next level. We are limiting ourselves, right? We are limiting ourselves. And that would have made sense had we lived in a different world, but we don't live in that world. So first of all, to be honest by the fact that we aren't just so organized in all areas of our lives, so we don't have to limit ourselves to be organized in this area. And the second is that we actually have opportunities, which we've been discussing in exile because of the chaos that we wouldn't have had if things were orderly. Like the fact that we just said previously, um, that Hashem dwells among you in your impurity. The fact that Hashem is present here, even though we're not in the perfect state, gives us an opportunity and an obligation to grab and eat, grab and drink. And tomorrow we'll elaborate. What does it mean grab and eat, grab and drink? What is the context of the Gemara talking about? And what does Hasidus take with this idea? But as we said, that in serving Hashem in the chaotic state in this world, we are drawing down opportunities and levels of Hashem that we could never have experienced in the order. But then we have to actually grab onto those opportunities and use them to take leaps and bounds that we couldn't have taken if we were limited to the order. So we'll, we'll continue and finish with this tomorrow. I, I thought we were going to... I never know. <laughs> I never really know how long something will take. But we'll, we'll continue with this tomorrow. Any questions or comments on what we've said so far? Making sense so far? I find that like it's more about like 
about the physicality in all kinds of ways. Like, for instance, we're not um, freed up or we're not modified in mitzvahs as we get older. Although a lot of mitzvahs like, require a lot of physical commitment and a lot of physical labor. And the fact that also tumor can happen at any age. At any age, yeah. Right. It's like yep. coming. Yeah, you would think, like, as you get to this stage, you can let go of these things. If you've done this mitzvah enough times, you can, you know, but we don't, we don't see it that way. Because every mitzvah is everlasting, so we always have an obligation with it. Yep, it keeps us on our toes, let's put it that way. <laughs> we don't get to retire from being, from being Hasidim, from being Jewish, no such thing.